Country Podcast Edition. I've always been around great songwriters and artists my whole life. I'm Michael Knox. Welcome to my world. Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Jason Aldean, and you are listening to my boy Michael Knox on Knox Country Podcast. Welcome to the Knox Country Syndicated Radio Show Podcast. I'm here with Nicole Gallion, award-winning singer-songwriter and um, working in the production world these days. Yeah, I guess by accident. Well, but you met your artist, I'll let you say who she is, on The Voice in 2012. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I had been, um, I signed a Warner in 2007, my first publishing deal, and about three or four years into my publishing deal, like I just, nothing was happening. I'd written a gazillion songs and a lot of a and R, like I, we would get feedback. Um, like BJ, my song plugger, would come back and say, "Oh yeah, well, they said you know that sounds like a Nicole song. We love that, but that sounds like a Nicole song." And so we kept getting this feedback that like maybe you should just make a record yourself because nothing was happening. And so I spent a year or two really kind of experimenting with being an artist. I put a band together. I tried to just like conceptualize a, a record and like what I would be if I was an artist. And in that time. Um, I got referred to try out for The Voice. There, This is a short version of the story, but basically I had um, someone in the music business sit me down and say, you're not an artist. This is like never going to happen for you. And literally the next day I got this call from The Voice. Wow. And I was like, well... I, I don't know. I'm that's just my personality is like I just need this is trial by fire. I just need to go and find out if this is in me or not. And I didn't feel like it was an accident that those two things happened so closely to each other because I hate performing. It's like my least favorite thing in the world. I love to create, but I felt like if I could go and do that that I would probably find out if I had what it takes. Didn't make it very far on the show, but I did meet a girl named Rachel Woodward who ended up being Ray Lynn and um Team Blake. Team Blake. Um like I said, I didn't make it very far, but I still spent a lot of time out there. It was it was like the most time I had taken off from writing in like the first five years I'd had a publishing deal. I was out there probably for a couple months, like off and on. And um that voice didn't pan out, but the voice is kinda like the butterfly effect in my story because if you take the voice away nothing it seems like all the stuff that has happened for me as a songwriter wouldn't have happened because when I came back my career just happened you know because the voice right after that happened I remember it was just an explosion you know everybody was talking about you everybody was loving your songs you were getting cuts and then you moved into being one of the first female kind of producers in town to kind of break that break that mold and mm-hmm. and that's when i heard from you when you came i, I didn't know you were on the voice to be honest with you I, well because I, I was barely on there I mean, <laughs> <laughs> if you blinked well, you what do you think me. happened what do you think did you get like sort of test that did it give you confidence or did you say okay i don't want to be an artist but i want to be a songwriter i want to create and maybe help other artists what happened in that time i have a couple theories one of them is um is simple is just that i had been in the grind of songwriting for so many years that do, writing two songs a day with anybody that would write with me that my like blue collar Kansas raisin was like well if it's not working just go harder go yeah. harder try harder work harder and I think um, that was the first time that I stepped back for that period of time and didn't write a song and I think there was um, not only like I, I needed that break but also it gave me a minute to really like Explore, like, kind of look at myself and go, Who are you? Is this really what you want to be doing? Also, 
my second theory is that like but like they always say you know you may not always know what you're supposed to be doing but you'll find out what you don't want to do and that's like expedites the process and i think going out and doing the voice and being around a hundred other people who would have given their right arm to be on the voice whereas i was kind of like i'm just kind of here because i feel like where you want to see i kind of just trying to figure it out Mm -hmm. really like made it clear to me that i was really a songwriter and then the third thing is that I think it was so unnatural for me that when I came back to Nashville, I was like, God, that was like the bravest thing I've ever done and the scariest thing I've ever done. Mainly because like I was I was afraid for the narrative to be written about me on the show. I was, you know, I was married, you know, I've been married to Rodney Clawson for 11 years, but at the time we were I think we'd been married like four or five years and he had had he was like in the middle of a crazy run as a songwriter and I really didn't want to be cast on that show as like the girl who's living in her husband's shadow and Rodney's wife Rodney's wife mm-hmm. um and so I kept it a secret when I was there no one on the show knew that I was married to him or knew anything about that but the stress of that (laughs) was really exhausting and I was really scared that that was you know because when you go do a show like that you don't have control of what the narrative is so I came back and I was like oh man I don't have to be on live tv and try to play this all I have to do is write a song every day again it was just like yeah oh yeah this is exactly what I need to be doing with my life but I have no explanation as to why the success happened it just was so such a pivot for me to do the show so you get back from the show Mm -hmm. and all that's in 2012 but 2014 was your or i guess they cut it in 2013 that was your first number one Mm -hmm. with keith urban miranda lambert right a song called we were us Mm -hmm. which also won an award too you know for what collaboration of the year so when that happened you, you had to feel like hey man i belong here this is you know that reboot had to have made sense then Yeah, the crazy part about 2013 for me was that that was the year that we had a baby. And I, at the point that I just, like, we decided, let's do this, let's let's get pregnant, I still had no success (laughs) as a songwriter. And so I really entered into becoming a mom as okay, this might, I'm, you know, if, if I get this baby in my arms and, you know, it might, it might not make sense for me to keep writing songs because I can at least look in the mirror and say, I gave it a good run. I gave it all I had, but literally within like a month or two of having our daughter, everything started working. Like my career was born at the same time my kid was born. So then I had to, then again, it didn't feel like an accident. I was like, okay, I think this is just the way that this is going to be. Well, who was your writing crew? I mean, who did you write that one with? Um, I wrote We Were Us with Jimmy Robbins and John Knight. And I think we'd probably written that while I was pregnant. And a lot of songs were, we joke about having baby karma. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, a lot of songs that went on to like get cut for me or written while I was pregnant. Both times. It's kind of weird. (laughs) Rodney's always looking at me like, well, when things slow down, maybe we should just (laughs) have another kid to keep this going. Um, I was like, sure. Easy for you to say. Just come on, spit them out. Yeah. (laughs) So now that same year, Automatic, Mm -hmm. Miranda Lambert, that's, that's, I know people hear me say this, but that's my favorite Miranda song. Oh, automatic that that genuinely that. is I, I cranked that at home I, you know but 
So th- that was written the same time. Who'd you write that one with? I wrote that with Miranda and Natalie Hemby. That was a crazy situation because that was truly within, like I had told my publisher when I had my baby, I was like, I'm going to probably take a couple of months off at least, two or three months. And um, and why shouldn't I? Nothing's happening. <laughs> and like three or four weeks after I had her, they called and they were like, can you write with Miranda? And I'd never written with her. And I was like, yes, but really? Now? Okay, great. Where, where has this been the last 10 years that I've been in town? Have you had met her before? Yeah, I had met her, and I had met her through The Voice. Um, that was part of the butterfly effect I kind of talked about was that not only did um, I get to meet her, but I was writing songs with Raylan, who was at that time a very new kind of inexperienced writer in Nashville and so she was playing all the songs that she was writing for Miranda and I think Miranda was like oh, who are you writing in this a lot of these with and um and she just kept hearing my name hearing my name and she was I think really liked what Ray was doing and so that ended up probably being more more of a thing for me than even for Ray I mean it she was like okay I mean I it's, then I got to write with her and we wrote automatic so the day that we wrote that it was me and Miranda and Natalie and we wrote uh, a song called Platinum and Automatic in the same day and that was wow. the only time that we wrote um, the three of us for the record and so it was that was a very good day again baby karma I was about to say you do you need to come on girl <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's yeah, it's but, a it's a real thing. But Automatic won Song of the Year, right? Yeah. Because I remember I was at the awards when she played it. I just love the vibe of that entire song, the the groove. It's this odd kind of thing, and it's such a cool thing. And, and that's what started attracting me to Miranda, you know, was actually that song. You know, so I'm a huge fan of Automatic. But that also was on her Grammy-winning album. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, I think you had like five cuts on that record. Is that correct? Yeah, that was – I remember I, I like – one of the goals that I had written down and prayed about was that I just wanted a Miranda cut. Uh, this felt like something to like keep my eye on. And um, Natalie Hemby, so I ended up with five um, on the record. And that was one of those things that just, as you know, like really what it does for you as a songwriter, whether those songs are singles or not. If you hear that somebody got five songs on any record, even mm-hmm. if it's a new artist, you're just like, That's huge. wow, how, what's, what is that? And yeah. so I was just excited. I mean, I was like over the moon about the cuts and then found out that we had the single and we never made it. We never demoed automatic. So pretty much when I heard automatic for the first time, fully produced, it, they had already said it's the single we got a link I got to hear it like the night before it came out it was truly like that songwriter experience that you pray to have there was no you know I mean it truly was like opening a gift on Christmas morning because I it, we had no idea what it was going to sound like and they just nailed everything about it and I remember I played it for Rodney they sent us like a like a link a label link or something mm-hmm. and I played it for him on my laptop on the really crappy speakers <laughs> in the kitchen and he like the man who literally does not shed a tear. Literally, I mean, it's crazy because I think he heard that song and knew what it was going to mean for me. And he just really loved the song too. But he got a tear in his eye and was just like, just kind of shaking his head. Oh. And you I'll can just say, never. You can say he cried like a baby. He <laughs> well, didn't cry like a baby because I don't think he is capable of crying like a baby. <laughs> Hey, this is Nicole Gallion. You're listening to Knox Country. Podcast.
Did you write Priscilla? Yeah. See, my husband is not a big country music fan. But when we got the, the platinum album, he kept playing that song <laughs> over. And he's like, have you heard the song Priscilla? And I'm like, what are you listening to? I didn't even, I didn't get to listen to the album yet. And he's like, oh, this Priscilla, Priscilla. And I'm like, dude, what in the world? But he wore that song out. Oh, I don't man. know. That was, that song was all Natalie Hemby's idea. That was her concept. I was, I remember, I, I remember what street I was on out in Old Hickory, Tennessee, driving into town. And I got a phone call from her. And she was, we were riding with Jimmy Robbins that day. And she's like, hey, listen. She always says, listen, I got an idea for today. And she said, and I was like, okay. And she's like, I just want to run it by you before we got there to Jimmy's house. And I was like, when she told me it's going to be a song to Priscilla about how do you keep your man around? I was like, this is so perfect. (laughs) But we did joke. We were like, it's Miranda or bust. Like, if she Mm -hmm. does, if she passes on it, like. It's just the song is gone. Mm-hmm. Um, and luckily she didn't. No, it was great. Yeah. Okay, well, you're sitting at home. You're watching. Or I don't know. Were you at the Grammys? At the Grammys? Yeah. yeah. Uh, we went to the Grammys, yes. So when they announced it, did you Kanye the stage or did you do anything? <laughs> no. But when you went for album, don't they give these poor songwriters anything no 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 we just get we just get to feel the love (laughs) for all five cuts and attachment to this to it (laughs) well i won the what i remember about that grammys was that rodney was nominated for song of the year for american kids and we were nominated for automatic and so we were nominated against each other for song of the year which was so special and so fun (laughs) and who won that year (laughs) neither of us (laughs) At the Grammys, neither of us won. But you, we, do you remember who won? <laughs> um, yeah, is the Glenn Campbell song. Yes. Oh, and so we, uh, I, we, I was already pregnant again by the time that this <laughs> song was nominated, and so I was like out to here, and it was our baby moon. It was like two weeks before I couldn't fly anymore and I was like huge and fat and pregnant and we like walked the red carpet to the Grammys and I just remember being like this is the prime of life like this is the stuff we're gonna remember it, it really didn't matter if we won I was just like this is our life it's awesome it's crazy I remember when I lost my Grammy yeah. <laughs> to the Civil Wars and I oh, said yeah. are they a country act <laughs> I didn't know I could lose to an Americana act I know <laughs> but it's so good because it, it you and Rodney seem like a really just hearing him talk about you and then you talk about him it's like it really it's very sounds fake like, it's oh, very stop it <laughs> no it's very <laughs> like just a good team where you know you, you you build each other up and you support each other but y'all kind of yeah. appreciate each other's strengths we're both inherently very independent which I think is a big part of our attraction just as humans is we both are kind of like there's always a little bit of mystery even in the small details of our day like I don't know what he did today you know I'm it's fun to come home at the end of the night and be like what'd you get into today like what'd you do and the same thing for him and I think we both really crave that um in each other Mm -hmm. like we, we both want our space because we both are very like very driven and focused on ourselves I guess probably pretty egocentric <laughs> but then also just really attracted to the fact that like we just want to be together even yeah. though we you know we just we are both so turned off to needy that <laughs> we like literally married the least needy human beings <laughs> I'm awesome. like you cool 
you cool? Yeah, we're cool. Like, that's pretty much our marriage. Well, I did talk to him, and I said, well, man, you need to start writing with her. He goes, well, we don't really write a lot, but she's getting, that's when he made the joke, she's kind of getting ahead of me. I'm yeah, she's gonna, too busy. Yeah, she's, she's too, too busy. <laughs> I'm going to have to start writing with her. Oh, man. But I mean, you and Rodney and uh, your stepson, yeah. Brad, what all had hits at the same time Yeah, that charts? Was, that was crazy. And I mean, hopefully it'll happen again. So, I mean, we I just joke that it's like, tag, you're it. You know, because it, it does kind of take, not that there's pressure, but it's just, um, it's really fun to have somebody else to cheer for and somebody else to be excited for, mm-hmm. because I think that that's um, something that Nashville gets really right, but it also gets, you know, it not everybody gets it, <laughs> is that it's just as fun to watch somebody else flourish and thrive and watch them move to town and not know anything and then all of a sudden figure it out and that's just as fulfilling for me to experience that with other people but I think being married to somebody else that's technically my competition really made like kind of like made me that way because it's just I so many years nothing happened for me that I was like okay I like what what happens for you is your story and what happens for me is my story and they are not competing Otherwise, our house would not work. That's what you said, too. It was like you were very conscientious to not want to be, not necessarily tied to him or his name, but it's like, hey, I've got my own thing. Yeah. You know, I'm going to do my own thing. And he was like, she just, you know, ran with it. Yeah, I think, well, and he also, I mean, I'll give him credit for this, too. Like, he, he, I'll never forget that he said this. He was like, I don't want anybody to think that you need me. He did, he did say that, yeah. And I... And he, that's how well, I mean, he knows me. That's so me to know. Like, I think he was very wise in knowing, like, if I had written 500 songs but wrote one with him and then that was the mm-hmm. one that, yeah. that something happened with, like, for my first song, it would have it would have all felt, it would have kind of stolen a little bit of the mm-hmm. experience for me. Yeah. But there's a proud thing, too. Just, mm-hmm. you know. Oh, he was very Look what my wife's proud. doing. Oh, you yeah. Know? And, and, and with that being said, I, I got to biggest song of the year so far you know uh, tequila i mean dan and shay i mean that thing is streaming like a pop hit you know and mm-hmm. and you know it's nominated for song of the year at the cmas this year and single of the year how did that kind of come about because that song i'm not usually an over-the-top pop country fan but man that song kills me every time i hear it that's i mean all i ever know is if i want to listen to it in my car or not after we write it and I think sometimes we all get in our head a little bit too much about things and but if I look back in hindsight we listened to the demo of that which was ultimately a a, pretty much a piano vocal with Jordan Reynolds our co-writer singing it who's an incredible singer but we me and Dan and Jordan we all rode around and listened to that song for a year and it never got old for us just that piano vocal so I think there's that just a lesson a I think in that if we didn't get tired of it maybe no. somebody else should you know maybe there's a thing there but I Dan and Scott like took the production like for my taste that track's perfect yep I mean everything about it is perfect to me just for my and I do love pop I mean I'm very like child of the 90s where I'm like I want it to sound like very slick and yeah, yeah. and all that and well that so, one that one is a monster song this year I with all that to say, I would, what I didn't get to was that I had no idea. <laughs> and we all said, that we're like, we knew that it was really good, but I don't think we had any idea that it would... Like, I thought, this song's going to go number one, but I had no idea... That it would resonate that much? Yeah, I mean, it's like this week, and it's like in the 
it's moving up the teens in the on hot AC right now, and it's like yep. only been out there a few weeks. And this new streaming world, you kind of get another taste of a chart. You mm-hmm. know, it's kind of a in the air chart. You know, but it's what the kids are wanting to hear. It's what the people, the fans are wanting to play without a radio pushing it in their face. They're actually streaming it. They're actually, you know, clicking on it. And that's what's neat to see how a lot of these these new country guys are are finding their way into those new charts it's letting you know how relevant we are what's funny about it is i used to give rodney so much crap about writing like songs like drunk on you with like honey on the money maker and like all these booty lines and about getting drunk and i was like someday our kids like are gonna and now literally just this week our daughter kindergarten on the way home from school she's like why do people like tequila so much? What is tequila? Why do people? And I was like, well, it's like a grown-up lemonade. It's like <laughs> I didn't. Good. I was like making. I and I was like, really, me? I'm the one that gets the brunt of these questions. You need to go talk to your dad. He's the one that writes all the drinking songs. This isn't even technically a drinking song, but all the remixes for tequila like have different covers. They have all these big. It's like has like ten remixes now, and my kids, they're like, we want to listen to the purple tequila. They call it tequila. Oh, and we want purple tequila. No, we want rainbow tequila. And like, we'll be out in public, and they're like, I love purple tequila. <laughs> I'm just like, okay. it's good to do it to school. It's my, good. To yeah, do. my kid uh, used to say water, and it would come out like vodka. It's <laughs> <Vodka. laughs> like, Mama, I want vodka. And we went. I'm from Louisiana, and we don't get to see my family often. And we went back and. He would. He was asking for water, and they were like, "Did he just ask you for vodka?" And I was like, <laughs> and I was like "No, you know." But it just, hey, coming from Louisiana, it wouldn't surprise me. There's a little girl in our daughter's class named Kira. Well, last year she was in her preschool class named Kira, and our daughter Charlie thought that the song was Takira. <laughs> and so for like a year of listening to the demo, she thought she would sing tequila. Oh, <laughs> and it was like it, we got it was great. But now she knows that it's tequila. So yeah. <laughs> now we have some some explaining to do. Knox Country Podcast Edition. <laughs> Some of you know me as a record producer for acts like Jason Aldean and Thomas Rhett. Others know me as the son of rock and roll legend Buddy Knox, party doll fame, back in 1957. I'm Michael Knox. Welcome to my world. You're listening to Knox Country. Hey, this is Keith Urban. What's up, y'all? It's your boys here, Florida Georgia Line. Hey, this is Little Big Town. And you're listening to Knox Country. You've entered Knox Country. Welcome back to the Knox Country Podcast. How many number ones are you at right now? I'm at five. And that's from just when? From 2014. 14. Oh my yeah, gosh. that's crazy. And then you got the Keith Urban coming home. Yeah. I, I love that song, but I mean, who'd you write that with? I don't know a lot about the backstory on that one. That was that was such a unique experience. I don't think I've ever had a song written in the same way that that one was. Um, Keith had started a song with um, a producer, writer named J.R. Rodham in L.A., and they did that Merle sample and everything. They had yep. all that. And then um, and he pretty much had, he had a lot of the chorus and the idea written. And then he actually had called Shane McAnally and said, hey, can you come help me today work on verses on this song? And Shane's like, no, man, I can't. I'm in the studio. And he's like, well, who do you recommend? And Shane told him to call me. That's awesome. So I owe Shane um, for that. <laughs> so I went over and spent a day writing on the verses 
with him and then we thought we kind of almost we both no joke we both had to go pick our kids up from school we were really close to you know maybe you know we were getting there it's like I gotta go he's like I do too so we're gonna get back together and then we never did and then he went out to LA and pulled in Julia Michaels and they worked on it and this song was just written and rewritten and added to and all this stuff so many times but the day that I left writing on it I didn't even know that it ever got finished yeah and then fast forward months down the road female which i also wrote was like on the charts and it was you know it was kind of at that point where is looking like it they were gonna let go of it and i was kind of grieving that i was like man this isn't going as high as i wanted it to and and rodney just said yeah but you shouldn't you got the next single and i was like no i don't i didn't get another cut on that record and he's like, well, I wrote with somebody last week, and they said that you have a next single. And I was like, well, what is it? And he said something about <laughs> said something about home. And I said, that song got finished. <laughs> I never even knew that song was finished. It's That's an eight-way like nice now. Surprise. Yeah, it's a, there's eight writers on it now. I mean, and it came out great, but I it was I've just never had that experience. Yeah. You know, but you, what a crazy cut too. It's this odd little vibe, you know, like mm-hmm. you said with that lick and everything. I mean, it, it comes off the radio, man. You know, very strong. Yeah, I mean, I'm just forever a Keith Urban fan. I mean, there's a few people. I don't know. Sometimes artists, these artists, would appreciate me saying this because it would make them feel like they, their age or something. But there are like a handful of artists that I was legitimately a stand in line, get your autograph fan of. Mm-hmm. And those are the artists that like it really feels different to get a cut on somebody like that because it feels like I'm two people at once. I, I feel like I'm like 16, yeah. but also 34 at the same time. Mm-hmm. And like getting to look back and all that is is really that's really special no matter what the song is with him well he's a genuine like he's the epitome of an artist like when you say artist Mm -hmm. you know and you say keith urban you get what you're talking about a guy who's out there with his guitar loving every second Mm -hmm. you know i mean every time you see him anywhere man he's given a thousand percent yeah and and he's the epitome of of the of an artist doesn't matter what format you're talking about yeah i feel like you could see him play every show on his tour and you would get a little bit of a different show every yeah. night because he's such a natural performer and I think he's just you can you feel like when you're watching him that he's loving it so much and he's on a ride on all his own up there so yeah big Keith Urban fan. Now, do you enjoy right because you have what a Camilla Cabello cut yeah. how did that that's happen. a crazy story. So, because <laughs> I mean, it's like I'm looking through your, yeah. your discography, and it's like, well, okay, yeah, one of these things is not like the other. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I wrote that song with um, on a. It was an afternoon, right? Like a double with Emily Wise Band and Amy Wodge, um, who Amy is. Uh, she's from the UK. She's also, we're all Warner Chapel writers, and so they put us together, and um, I didn't know who she was. I knew she had worked with Ed Sheeran a little bit, um, but that was it. And we wrote this song called Consequences. We did a piano vocal of it, and then Amy went back to UK. We never really, you know, and then Amy emailed us and said, hey, so I hope you guys don't mind. I played this song for Ed Sheeran, and he's freaking out about it. And, and she and even went on to say, like, nobody knows this, but Camilla is leaving Fifth Harmony. It hasn't been announced yet, but she's going to make a record, and he thinks it would be perfect for her. Can we... Is it okay? I hope you don't mind. He sent it to her. 
And I was like, well, ab- sure, absolutely. So then I'm like Googling like members of yeah. Fifth Army. <laughs> like, oh, <laughs> what is happening? Yeah. Um, but didn't, you know, it was still so early on, but like two, it took like two, that was two years before the record even came out. So we just like sat there and sat there and sat there. And then she, when she got in and cut it, she went in and rewrote on the song too. So technically we co-wrote it with her, even though I've, yet to meet her it's okay um but they cut a bunch of a bunch of different versions of the song apparently and then by the time that it was all said and done they just went back to use the piano from the demo and as a piano vocal so yeah but that is what but that song went literally around the world it went to uk like to get to la to get cut which was really cool which is like a very cool nashville story Mm -hmm. for right now because you know there's so many blur lines so you are connected to ed sheeran I guess so. Yeah. <laughs> well, talk some more about what you're wanting to do. I mean, I know you want to get into production more, maybe, or is there things like that? You, you Did you enjoy that situation? The irony of the production thing is that I have always hated being in the studio. I'm the only, like most songwriters say that's their favorite part of writing is going in and demoing and hearing it come to life. And I'm, that's not like... For me, it's the idea. I love the moment of talking about the idea and all the different ways to write it. How would we do it? How would we, where would we put this? How would we use the words? That's my favorite thing is when the idea clicks. I mean, I could almost care less. Like, I just wish I could hand it over. Like, you're the best people in the world. You guys just go make this sound incredible. Um, I kind of fell into the production thing more out of like, um, like my role as a producer with Raylan was more being like the conscience I think and the heartbeat behind her and who she was and like at that time because she was so young and I was kind of just this in the common denominator in a lot of the songs that they were really into and I knew her so well that I think um they were like well this seems really natural because you're taking her in and cutting a lot of vocals on her and and that I think I was like more I really love like the A&R process of a record um and just kind of like really like planning out the brand of what all the music is going to be and the message and and all that stuff but if something happens organically I will produce more things but I'm not seeking it out really um it's been really special to get to step into that role especially because I think what blew me away was realizing that like women don't do it I didn't feel like I was doing anything different it was just like these like go recreate these demos basically that you're being a part of but like just the support and how excited people were about the fact that me being a woman and doing that that excited me and if you yeah. know if there's more opportunities to do that if nothing else just to make maybe let younger writers consider oh I could do that too because I never considered being a producer and I still even don't really think of myself as one but I think what we underest like it's very it's very much like a woman to be like, well, I'm not qualified. But yeah, yeah, you are. Like you're doing yeah. it, you know. Well, but but also, well, the best producers are people that find that project that's an extension of who they are. Mm-hmm. And you know, and, and if you keep looking for those things, I bet it will make sense every time. Yeah. You know, but Nashville has a way of throwing a lot of stuff your way. Mm-hmm. That might not be that extension, yeah. you know, so you get caught up in something else. But, you know, what I heard was great. Oh, so thanks. Did you write Love Triangle? I did. <sighs> love that song. I love that song. Thank you. Is it fiction? Love Triangle? <laughs> love, love triangle. <laughs> it's kind of personal. No. <laughs> yeah. No, I have not lived that song, but, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was great. Thank you. Thank you. 
Hey guys, it's Shalacy. Check us out on the web at KnoxCountry360.com or on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at KnoxCountry360. Everything with Ray like really happened organically for me. I didn't seek it out. And so I'm very much like just invite those things to come yeah. into my life in the future. I'm, but I'm not like actively going like, what do I want to produce next? I'm more just like put my head down and write because it is such a grind no yeah. matter what level you're at. Well, it kind of sounds like everything that you've had success with and have been happy with, you've just sort of let it just happen. You know, you've tried mm-hmm. other things more to, you know, X them out. I don't want to do this. This is, mm-hmm. I don't like this. And then it kind of, you know, happens naturally instead of you forcing, mm-hmm. you know, or, or chasing yeah. something. Yeah. I mean, because your, your, your plan, your plan changed. And that's when things got successful. Mm-hmm. You know, because it's like when, when you were trying, it got something happened where you, you were missing the mark a little bit. But then the voice did something where it rebooted your brain or, or, or made you say, man, forget that. Whatever that emotion is, forget that. And then so whatever happened after that is, you know, a big thankful dream, I think. I mean, because mm-hmm. it's made you one of the most successful just songwriters, period. I mean, especially the past couple of years. I think people really underestimate um, the ability to step back for a second. Yeah. You know, there's definitely some people that need to press in harder and be more consistent and show up more. But that's what is healthy for me and a good balance for me is to step back occasionally. And we both, we take a month off in the summer now and we, we go to my hometown in Kansas and just let the kids run around in a, in a small town. And um, we built a little house there. And I think that that is actually like a big investment on our careers just for us to step away. And because when we come back, it's, I mean, the songs are better. We have a newfound appreciation for what we get to do for a living, and and so I think I think the voice like stepping away and trying something else taught me that like it's okay to have another thing on the side just to give you a breather from this like it feels like an assembly line sometimes you're yeah. just like idea hook demo pitch idea hook you know and like when sometimes some of the songs like that get released sort of sound like that. Yeah, it's just there's nothing yeah. different. It's well, sort of, and, and some songwriters are great at that. Yeah, and some and some is it's a different motivation, you know. Mm-hmm. But um, but you talked earlier about the about the track generation, mm-hmm. and then you know, and then the singer songwriters are. Do you like the track guys? Do you like them kind of in the room, or or do you feel you like an mm-hmm. instrument better? Um, I I probably prefer a track. Um. I also think, a bit, I didn't mention this, but, you know, like the first three, four, five years I had a publishing deal, I wrote on a piano. I was like kind of like a country Sarah Bareilles singer-songwriter-esque writer. Mm-hmm. I would sit on a piano and write songs every day. And I think um, when I started, like when I met Jimmy Robbins, for instance, um, I remember writing with him and not... And not fi- and not having to do the music at all, and going, oh wow, I'm so much better at this when I'm not doing this, and mo- and when I say this, I mean I'm so much better at idea and lyric and concept concept when I'm not having to do the music, mm-hmm. and I realized that maybe I was, and I mean when I stepped away for I probably only write a song on, like one song on piano a year now. And when I started writing with people like Jimmy, everything started to work for me. I mean, yeah. that all happened around that same time. So I'm, 
I think that was a big part of my evolution and me just learning my like what what's gonna work for me I just think there's so many talented musicians here I had this like aha moment of like why would you ever play an instrument because there's usually more of a demand for words and ideas than there are not to downplay the importance of music and chords and musicians but there it's a lot harder to find a great idea than it is to find four chords or to find a second verse yeah (laughs) yeah (laughs) we were joking about that at another time where you know i get so many songs pitched to me you know because i'm not a writer producer so the majority of what i do i go find Mm -hmm. and it's always the second verse that loses you and you're like ah i wish they would have just thought about this a little more you know and i'm not Mm -hmm. the writer to go fix it you know or maybe you take what you thought was the first verse and make second and then back up and make the first one match you know lead into the second one just to brace because that's something that they do a lot in pop that i've learned just going out and writing with some of these pop they're like when you think you've written a chorus make it the verse and then make the chorus even better than the verse just in terms of how hooky things are and that's something that we don't push ourselves hard enough at in Nashville yeah. is just overall like the hookiness of everything. Yeah, yeah. But we could do that with words if we, you know. Yeah. And, and, and the cool thing to. about our format is we're the most diverse format right now. Mm-hmm. I mean, we got everything here. Yeah. You know, and it, all it is is the lifestyle of the artists that make us country, I guess. But our songs, I mean, like you said, I mean, you can look at automatic tequila coming home. And um, We Were Us, and that's four different kinds of songs. Yeah. And that's what makes Nashville so cool. I love I love your direction of how you write. Oh, thank you. You know, and because uh, we need that thought process. Thanks. I love, I just love words in general. I think that's kind of like my calling in life, even whether it's songwriting or even beyond. Like, I'm the communicator in all my friend groups and my family. I'm the one that makes sure that what's, what needs to be said is said. Do you have any siblings? I have three younger brothers. You're the oldest there. Yeah. It makes sense. (laughs) Yeah. And so I, that's like really my passion is making sure that like, if there's a story to be told or something that needs to be addressed, like let's just put it out there. And so I'm, I know that this is definitely what I should be doing. So you didn't go after Rodney with some of those loot cuts and go, you know, man, you should have thought about that lyric just a little bit more. No, because I'm still the (laughs) ultimate fan. Like I am not as much like I love trying to find more creative words but I am like I mean I'm kind of like a pop whore like when it comes Mm -hmm. to like listening to just like whatever on the radio like I love the just down the middle can I go around on a treadmill to this like I am not a snob when it comes to music I I really am not not when I'm consuming music I am a little bit when I'm writing because I just need to keep myself excited you know when you do it every day but I love all that. I mean, Rodney has that down to the honky tonk song out right now. Yeah. It's like I listen to it every day on my way to write. <laughs> I mean, just because, I mean, and it's not rocket science, but it makes me so happy, you yeah. know, and I don't, I like it all, you know. But what makes the best songwriters are being fans of what what you're writing for. Mm-hmm. And we've noticed that in all these interviews, man, is everybody's pretty successful, but they're all so excited when they talk about what they're doing. And, you know, and, and you don't get that sometimes in other in other areas. Yeah. I, I will say there's like a younger generation of what I've noticed because I like, I'm like right in the middle right now. I'm 34. So I write with a lot of older, but I also write with a lot of 20 year olds. 
and the, I feel like there's um, a lot of younger people that didn't really grow up on country. Mm-hmm. And that's something that's interesting for me right now in the right, in, that I'm noticing is like, wait, you don't know who such and such is? And I'm not even that old. And it's not because they're too young. It's because they didn't, they're writing country music, but they didn't grow up listening to country music. Yeah. And I think that it's cool because it, it brings new melodies and it brings new musical ideas. Um, but it's just like a good example of how we all kind of need each other. You yeah, know? yeah. Well, it's good that you can float in the middle, too. Yeah. It, I'm sure that helps you and keeps you creative because you can touch on that countryside. Well, but then, as long know. as I can, I, I'm like, I'm creeping up to be the old lady, the old, <laughs> the old creepy lady coming in to write with all the young guys, like, who let her in here? Well, I was driving home the other night and had my 18 year old and her friend in the car, and oh. we're, we're listening to music, having a good time. And she goes, Mr. Knox, did you know that? This such and such rapper passed away uh, this week, and it was I can't remember who Mac it was. Miller. Yeah, yes. Matt Miller. And I said, yeah, yeah. I, I said I didn't know a lot of his songs, but I mean, but we were, but I mean, you know, we were just so consumed with Burt Reynolds, you know, passing <laughs> away. And she goes, who? And I <laughs> oh, said, yeah. Burt Reynolds, the Bandit. I'm, I don't, I don't know him. What does he sing? And I'm like, oh, it's all going downhill even <laughs> further. Yeah. You know, so it, it, so that's where we are. Yeah. That's right where we are. Mm-hmm. It's just that that dis, that new generation. Mm-hmm. But I love that. I mean, I'm I'm a little bit older than you, but I love the fact that I can listen to some old Patty Loveless and appreciate it, and then on the way up here, I can listen to like Baby Got Back or something. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, and it, it it's okay. Mm-hmm. You know, and you can meet in the middle and, and you, you cover everything. Yeah. I love it all. I really do. I just want, all I really care about is the Dixie Chicks. Even to this day, I'm just like, uh, I'm just gonna, I'm really just buying my time until I can get a Dixie Chicks cut. Like, whatever. I mean, <laughs> Keep my career alive oh. long enough to get that to happen. Get the band back together. They're actually, I think, like they think they announced their their writing oh. again. I got an odd, oh. I got an odd feeling that you know somebody that might can call to I get a, a song or a or something their way. I have a feeling they're not going to make the record in Nashville, so I don't know. If it doesn't matter. You can still hook up. You can still go do the right. Oh, I just that's my dream. You tell that's, Ben. Just say, Ben, your your old boss said you need to make a call. <laughs> yeah. 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 Boss Knox. <laughs> you call Knox. Knox said. <laughs> Do it, Ted yeah. But that's awesome, man. Well, I love you being here, man, and Thanks. I appreciate you coming. Thank you. Thanks for doing this and shining a little light on the on the you know, bottom of the food chain. No <laughs> songwriters. <laughs> Well, this whole show is really just about y'all getting me songs for my okay. act that I'm trying to cut. <laughs> okay. And, and who him. is that again? What's him. his name? I, need, I don't even know his name anymore. I don't even know. He he doesn't invite me to the shows. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, I bet. But cool. Thank you for being here, Nicole. Thank you. This is awesome. Thanks for having me. Knox Country. Thanks for joining us on this episode of the Knox Country Podcast. Special thanks go out to co-host Mr. Lacey Griffin and producer Donnie Walker. See you next time. Better Knox Country outtakes. Okay, now we need to start over and do it all again. <laughs> we need Rodney comps. What was so funny for his interview? He was kind of like he was chill until he started talking about that fishing. Oh, it's like geez. professional. Oh, and then he woke up. <laughs> he, he goes from <laughs> yes, <laughs> like that. It's like, like wow. So are you a pro fisher? No, not not really. You know. No, I actually I actually but joked you have with four him. Four hours because I'll tell you about it. <laughs> I, I said he was on a boating team, and he goes boating. I fish. Yeah. <laughs> it may not even really be worth talking about because I don't know. I think it's just a title. I don't. We, sh- we sure as hell can't okay. use this feedback. No, no. <laughs>
Well, what's, well, what's <laughs> off the record? I don't know that it means anything. How was that when you called and said, I need um 1,800 cops? <laughs> no, I <laughs> Nicole? Nicole? Well, Italian? Italian? Stallion? There you go. Uh, and you did Italian? talk more than Rodney. You did talk more than Rodney. Oh, yeah. It was all It was Well, all we good, were though. actually a lot more interested in your conversation. <laughs> when Rodney was entering the 38 minutes of his boating trip. <laughs> Do it again? Oh, okay. Knox Country. Podcast edition.